0: To dive right in. So, this whole series exposed that we've been walking through for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, uh, this exposed series is really all about revealing some things that are not hidden in Scripture because it's secret. Sometimes things are only hidden because we don't dig deeper. It's not that He intends it to be hidden. It just means that too many times we take things at face value without wondering what might be behind that. And today, I want to talk about a story we're all familiar with, Water to Wine, and what that holds within it. Um, The first miracle that Christ did. And I want to talk about that. And I want to share some things with you regarding that. I encourage you today to take notes. I encourage you to write some things down. I'm going to move through this pretty quickly, and as we go through it, my hope and my prayer is that you see very, very clearly how it is that the Father really tries to communicate with us sometimes in such a way that, as I said earlier, causes us just to dig a little bit deeper. He wants to be known deeply. In fact... John 6, I'm not going to read that today and you don't have to turn there, but in John 6, everything. When, I give, when we offer communion and when we receive communion in this house, and we do it with a little cup of juice, and we do it with a little cracker, when we do that, one of the places that I like to refer to is John chapter 6. And the reason I like to refer to John chapter 6, and instead of going to Luke or Corinthians to lead you or direct you in communion the reason I like that is because in John chapter 6, there's no place in all of Scripture that is more defining of the relationship of Jesus Christ, or the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus Christ like that. In fact, in John 6, he said, I invite you to do this, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And there's something to be said about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. If you're part of this house, you've heard me talk about this many times. You could probably by now say it better than me. But when he invites and he said you must eat my if you want to have a part with me. If you really want to know me, he said you must first eat my flesh and drink my blood. And what he was saying there was really a picture of what we're doing in this series exposed. What he meant by that was not a literal eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It was this, it was eat my flesh, know me outwardly. Know my demonstration. Look at me and know that I am the Son of God and I am... Well, not even that yet. Look at me, eat my flesh, know that I am among you and that I'm anointed. You can see that by walking the streets with me. Then I want you to drink my blood. It's when you drink... You don't know that I'm the Son of God by eating my flesh. You don't know it until you drink my blood. You've got to get deep in me. You've got to get past what is on the outside and find out what is on the inside before you can truly know who it is that you're walking with. That's right. That is John 6 in a picture. It's a long chapter, but that is John 6 in a picture. It is all about dig deep and find out who I am. Let's dive into this simple story, this story that we're all familiar with where Jesus turns the water into wine this morning so if you would please let's begin turn with me to John chapter 2 and then hold your place right there there's this really cool thing that Thomas Edison did uh, before he would hire an applicant and every time he would bring someone in to help him with his inventions to organize whatever it was he was doing doing um, Thomas Edison every single time he would hire a new employee or inquire or give them opportunity to be hired. He would make them do something. He would set them down at a table and he would sit across the table from them and he would bring to them, have someone in the house bring to them a bowl of soup. He would set a bowl of soup in front of them with a salt shaker and with a pepper shaker and a spoon. He would put that in front of them. Picture this. I take Matt Hoffman. He's, he's, he's applying for a job. He's sitting over there. I, have, I say nothing. I sit on this side, he's sitting on that side, I have someone come in and they set a bowl of soup in front of Matt. In front of that bowl of soup is a salt shaker and a pepper shaker and then a spoon. And then without saying anything, Thomas Edison sits there and he simply stares at him. Doesn't ask them any questions, doesn't encourage them to do anything, doesn't tell them how to eat their soup. He just waits. And then what he does is try to decide how they're going to eat the soup. And then when the person begins to eat their soup, if they immediately take the salt and pepper shaker, like some probably do even under the sound of my voice this morning, before they ever taste the soup, they salt it and they pepper it. Haven't even tasted it yet. And then they taste it. If they salt the soup and pepper the soup and then taste it, they don't get the job. But if they taste it, first and then determine does it need anything else those are the innovators he was looking for he wasn't looking for people who had already assumed their position he wasn't looking for people who already thought they knew the answer he didn't want the people that sat across the table from him and decided this everything needs salt and pepper well maybe this bowl doesn't He wanted to find out, does what is in you, are you the kind of person that can really benefit what it is that I want to do, the vision that I have going forward? Can you bring something to the table? Because if you're going to salt and pepper everything before you taste it, you are useless to me. That's Thomas Edison Edison saying that. In the same way, there's something... Amazing about that because his reasoning was that the absence of curiosity and the willingness to ask questions were antithetical to innovation. They were the antithesis of innovation. In other words, if I am not curious and if I'm not going to ask questions, you've heard me say this before one of the most amazing things that we can do in the kingdom of God is ask questions. If you're not curious and you're not asking questions, you cannot grow. You cannot possibly be a benefit. In Thomas Edison's case, to what he was doing. I want to ask you this question this morning. Have you ever asked yourself why Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding in Cana? Have you ever asked yourself why he did it? Has anyone ever asked yourself why he did it? Give me a show of hands. How many have never asked yourself why he turned the water into wine? Because at face value, it seems apparent. It's not a knock on you. It's not a knock on me. I never asked until recently. I've been preaching for th- over 30 years. And I never asked until recently. What's deeper than that? Until he said to me, there's something deeper in this story than just water being turned to wine and what is it? See, so many times as believers we will read our, whatever scripture it might be or hear a story and we take it at face value. But there's so much more to it than that. Everything about the kingdom of God, everything about scripture is type and shadow is let me show you this so that it can mean this in your age in your time in your season every parable in scripture the reason that they are parables I said that to the team this morning the reason there's parables in scripture is, and he used parables is because they're timeless the fig tree means nothing to you and I if it were not a parable who has a fig tree in this house? you have a fig tree (laughs) It means something to one person. (laughs) I like figs in one form, in a Newton. (laughs) But it means nothing to anyone else, except for her. But he used it as a parable because the parable created this timeless idea that there's something special about a fig tree. If you can see it for what it is, if it's in time or if it's out of time, if it's in season, if it's out of season, what is its purpose? I want to read with you this morning in John chapter 2.11, and while you're turning, to chapter 2, verse, beginning with verse 1, while you're turning, I want to ask you one more time, have you ever asked, why did Jesus turn the water into wine at the wedding in Cana? And the answer for most, obviously, is likely not. In John 2, it reads like this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with His disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to Him, They have no wine. Everybody say, They have no wine. wine. And Jesus said to her, Mom, woman... What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, didn't even reply to Christ, his mother turned to the servants and said, just like every mother does, does not <laughs> reply to the child, just says, get ready. Do whatever it is that he tells you. Now there were six Stone water jars that were there for the Jewish rites of purification. This is important. There were six stone... How many have ever read this story, heard this story, and thought anything about those six water jars and what they were for? How many, until I just read this, even knew what those water jars were for? Don't raise your hand. Point made. There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, and each of them held twenty or thirty gallons of water. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim, and He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water tasted that the water now became wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And then when people have drunk freely, and they don't know the difference, then they serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This... The first of His signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. What does this wine, or what does this lack of wine, Christ asks, ask, have to do with me? He was obviously not interested in being the bartender that day. He was there because he was he went with the disciples and they had received an invitation so he went and is he standing there and they realize they ran out of wine and he's, his mom is concerned about it because these are people that they care about and it was important and what they served was important it said something about them his mama says son you've got to do something about this and he says i'm not interested in doing anything about this i came to be present but I didn't come to do anything yet. My time, my moment, has not yet come. And then mama turns from him and she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I want to point out something about the six jars that were there for purification. What's hidden behind this story is what he used to demonstrate a message. He told them take those jars and fill them up. Before you can understand the significance of this you have to know what those jars were. The jars the water of purification was for this purpose exactly that it was to purify. I'm going to give you a story I'll explain how that kind of works. Aaron in fact let's let me see I, I may have added that to here added that to your to your notes. I did not add it to you. If you're following along with your notes, I did not add it to your notes. But what happened was Aaron, as an example, when he would go in and they would come to the temple and they would bring all their... And I'm really, really condensing this, paraphrasing this into layman's terms. And they would come and they would bring all their sacrifices and what have you. And he would make atonement for their sins. And then he would do this really cool thing. Once he made atonement for their sins, he would wash himself in that water of purification. Or he would move to wash himself in the water of purification. But before he did that, he would call for a goat. They would bring a goat called a scapegoat. They'd bring that goat to him. He would lay his hands on the head of that goat. And when he laid his hands on the head of the goat, he would pass to that goat all the sins that were brought that day. And he would transfer all of that to this goat. And then he would call a servant and he would say, now I want you to take this goat called a scapegoat where that where that phrase comes from. He said, I want you to take this goat, and I want you to take it, and I want you to lead it all the way out into the desert. And get it so far out there into the desert that it can never find its way back, and it will die there. I want you to come back, but I want it to take those sins far from here. And he lays his hand on that goat. When he leaves that goat... He he walked over and he would go to the water of purification, to the mikveh, that place of bathing, wherever that was, that little spot of water, and he would completely cleanse himself so that there was a washing. All the sin, all of the ugliness, all of the impurities, everything that was on him, he would get into that water and he would completely bathe in that water so that he was literally purified. All of that stuff that was added to him suddenly disappeared. Because the law required it. The law required that for him to do anything else, he had to be purified. This is why it was important at this wedding when Jesus said, Get those jars of water, or get those jars that are normally used for the waters of purification, which by law is what purified you. That water is what made you whole again. That water is what delivered you. Those jars are empty. There's no water in there today. I want you to get those jars and I want you to fill them again with water, but I'm going to do something else with it. And they filled those jars up with water. He turned the water into wine. What's significant about this? What is significant about him taking those jars that were made to purify people who violated the law? What is significant? Because he transformed what was law into spirit. Until the the lead of the wedding, the man at the wedding, said, the, the main dude at the wedding said, Who did this? Where did this come from? Who saves the best until last? And Jesus comes in knowing... Knowing what I'm trying to show you today is I am a foreshadow of what is to come. I am a testimony and I am a witness that the law can no longer provide for you. You've been holding those jars in the back room waiting for the moment that you could purify yourself, believing somehow that you would wash yourself. That's exactly what Yom Kippur is. It's that feast, it's that purification that takes place. Every year for the Jewish people, looking to the law. Looking to a purification that's outside of Christ. And he was saying there is no substitute. And today, at the wedding of Cana, I am introducing myself as the real thing. No longer do you come in and do you receive, and no longer are you going to be looking to the law today. I am freeing you from sin and shame. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 59 and read this with me. Isaiah 59, beginning with verse 2, says this, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. This is his statement. This is Isaiah talking about what the Jewish people, the place the Jewish people had come to, and why purification was necessary. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. Your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly, no one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs, they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed a viper is hatched. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and brightness, but we walk in gloom. In this place... In this place, Isaiah is saying to them, theres you've come to this place where you need something to change. You need to be healed. You need to be delivered. You need to see again. Blind eyes need to be opened. The lame man needs to walk. There are things that you have, you've, you've been doing, things in secret in the dark places. And he says, I want you to know this. There is something coming that is greater than what the law can provide. And Jesus looking back to this moment and thinking of all of these moments that existed before He came, recognized I must show something. So mom, you're right. I will go ahead and do a miracle today. But what you need to see that's deeper in this story, mom, is I'm not going to do this miracle simply because everybody wants good wine. I'm not giving them what they want. I'm going to do what I'm doing because of what my dad wants. And what my Father wants is to free them from the law of sin and death. What my Father wants is to free them from this thing, this idea that they have these rituals and these rites of passage before they can come to a place in relationship with you. And He said, I want to free them from that. So get the very thing. That they look at, the very thing that was so important to them. I cannot not have the opportunity to be purified from my sins. I must have these jars and they must be filled with purified water. They must have, I must have a place where I can go to be redeemed. And Christ said, I want you to use that. And I'm going to pour the water out, I'm going to transform that water into wine. And I'm going to show them that if they can know me, I'm going to give them a foreshadow of what's to come. If they can know me, they're not going to need that mikveh anymore. They're not going to need Yom Kippur anymore. Uh, this might ruffle a few feathers. I really don't care. What they need is Christ. Come on. He said what they need isn't celebrations. What they need is Christ. And He gave the very best. When you think about the Master of the Feast, when He comes and He recognizes the value of the wine, let me show you what that is. The Master of the Feast represents Yahweh. The servants are you and me. And He gave His very best. And when that Master of the Feast said, Who does this? In John chapter 6, let's go there. Verse 25. When they found... Christ, on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, and He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, and you're full. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him... God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. This is the work of God. This is the purifying power of the Father. That you believe in Him whom He has sent. The story about water being turned to wine at the wedding of Cana had no, there's no... The fact that it's his first miracle is less relevant than what the depth of the story is. And that is today, he said, I'm releasing you from the law. Can you see it? There's two kinds of people that were at the wedding. There are those that were like his mother. And there's probably two kinds of people that were here even today. Maybe watching online. But there's two kinds of people at that wedding. One, like his mother, were those, they are those, who look around and they're diving deep and they're saying, Holy Spirit, or Father, show me. Show me what is beyond what I see. And when she sees her son, she knows, not because he said, Today I want to do a really cool thing, Mom, tell me when the time's right. He said, My time, my hour, my moment has not yet come. But she she's looking around and this type of person looks and they see this is the moment. Son, you're about to do something amazing. Whatever he says to you, do it. Then the second type of the person, second type of person is the one who shows up at the party, but they never interpret the event. They don't really know what the party's about. And if I could use this as an example there are those I hope not today but there are those at times when we have worship like we did today there are those who have in our worship and our singing they're diving deep and they're looking in and they're hearing and they're they're just really seeing their relationship with the Father and how those words of that song intermingle with their relationship with the Father and they're making a draw and they're being moved by what they're saying, not because it's words, but because they mean it, they mean it and they mean it, holy, holy holy, and they're singing those words and it's, it's, it's coming out of the depth of who they are, they're interpreting the moment, but then there are those who gather and they might sing holy, 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 great song great song, well, I'm glad we did that today Two types of people at every party. The one who's looking deep into this thing, the one who sees it, and the one who's waiting, the one who's interpreting, the one who's diving in, the one who isn't bound by the law that you can't do this or you can do that. Two types of people. The one like Jesus' mother, son, I see so much about what the Father is going to do today using you. I'm peering into another place. I see past the moment. We're at a wedding. But it's not a wedding I see. I see the redemptive power of my Son at work among these people. And I'm prophesying that Son into existence today. This is The moment. No mom, my hour has not come. Church! Whatever he tells you to do. Do it. And they bring it out in the middle of all of that. The second type of person is, this is a great party, great wine, glad I was here. And they never remember the event at all. He said, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. In this passage in John chapter 6, there are those who are on the other side when he fed the thousands with the loaves and the fishes, and they're all gathered together. And then he leaves and he crosses the sea. And when he crosses to the other side, you know this story, very familiar to you. And he crosses the other side, gets up the next morning, and people have come across with him. They're looking for him, can't find him. They come across, and he said, What'd you come for? You're not here because of the signs. You're simply here because you ate and you were filled. You're looking for more food. You're looking for more water in the vessel. You're not looking for the wine. You're looking for the water. You're not looking for the relationship. You're looking for the fix. If it's me... You've come to know, don't know me because I gave you bread and because I gave you fish. Know me because I have the power to set you free. If you've come to know me, don't know me because I can turn water into wine. That's the first miracle. Wait until you see what else I can do. But know me. Because the master of this event said this is the best we've ever had. The Father is saying, do you recognize who is among you? If You're coming to see me. If you're coming to spend time with me. If you're coming to gather and sit at my feet and, and lay your burdens down. And cast your cares upon me if you're coming to do that then no it's not because i can turn water into wine no it's not because i can do this or i can do no you're coming to lay those things at my feet because you believe that relationship with me will literally change you in every way It's not about the wedding and it's not about the water and it's not about the wine. It is about a Christ coming into a moment in your life and saying this was the law. Let me redeem the law with the blood and the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God. The redemptive power of who Jesus Christ is. There's a reason we're reading the Bible through in a year again. There's a reason there's an emphasis on that and us doing it together because I want you to dive deep. I want you to look deep. I want you to find the moment to get in there and not simply read it, whatever the reading is of the day. I don't want you to simply read it. I want you to dive deep into that thing. What is it He is trying to say? What is this genealogy? Even if it's in there, do I really need to read it? Yes. Because there might be a son who needs to know that his father really is important. Or a daughter that needs to know that this one is important. Whatever it might be. I need to look into this thing deeper because what the Father really wants to show us is deeper than what the page gives. See, everything about Scripture is a type and a shadow, and He's saying, Let me show you this because this is what I want to do. I'm giving you the water and the wine because it makes sense to the mind, but when you get past the mind and you can see by the Spirit, you're going to understand it's more about law being supplanted for Spirit. Mm -hmm. It isn't about the master of the feast, it's about a Father. Recognizing that his son just did something glorious. Do you hear me today?